This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent his own son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. second reading from Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 6. These words will serve as the basis for today's sermon. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Keep on fighting, said no parent ever. The backseat bickering, the sibling shoving matches are the things that parents pull their hair out over. Why can't you just get along? You two love each other. Just pretend like that's true for a couple of minutes. Can't you just be nice to one another? Keep on fighting. That's not anything I've ever heard of being shared in an election poll exit interview. What I'm hoping for in our country is that our politicians keep on fighting. I'm hoping that we have politicians that are stubborn and refuse to budge and compromise and they just dig their feet into the mud. What I think we need is more division and controversy in our country. Keep on fighting. Is there anyone who thinks that the war in Ukraine could last maybe just a few more months? Maybe it would be better if they just kept on fighting. I, I can't imagine there's anyone who feels that way. That war has been raging for 16 months, and even that is just the latest skirmish in a larger conflict that's lasted since 2014. Nine years of armed conflict. Does anyone think that the solution is that they keep on fighting? Is there anyone, anyone who wants racism or gang violence to continue? If we had a magic wand, if we had a miraculous ability to snap our fingers and make things happen, and we talked about making fighting stop, I don't know a single person here who wouldn't snap instantly and make the fighting go away. But the Apostle Paul in our second reading today encourages Timothy to keep on 
fighting. And by inspiration, that means the Spirit of God gives us that encouragement too. And therefore, by God's guidance and in his grace, we too can heed those words. We can join Timothy and the church on earth and keep on fighting. Timothy was one of Paul's closest companions. It's very, very likely that Timothy met Paul when Paul was on his first missionary journey. Paul came to Timothy's hometown of Lystra, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, announcing that the Messiah that the Old Testament had foretold was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus, that Jesus is the one, the Son of God, who came to live and die and now lives on high It's entirely likely that Timothy had his eyes opened by Paul's proclamation. It's on Paul's second journey that Timothy and Paul meet up again. Paul comes back to the city of Lystra, this time to take Timothy with him as a companion, as a co-worker for the rest of of his journey. Timothy would be one for whom the gospel changed his heart, and he would proclaim a a heart-changing gospel message as he and Paul went to greater lengths and greater distances proclaiming the gospel. Timothy was with Paul when Paul was serving his first Roman imprisonment. He was there at his side during that house arrest, and then when Paul was released from that prison, Timothy became a a companion once more as Paul continued his travels. Many call those post-imprisonment travels to be Paul's fourth missionary journey. That journey takes place after the historical account in the book of Acts, and so the details aren't nearly as clear, but we can piece the details together from some of Paul's writings, what actually happened. Paul took Timothy along. Perhaps it was at least his intention, his desire to go to Spain. They sailed through the Mediterranean, through the island of Crete, and then Timothy was dropped in the city of Ephesus while Paul continued his circle route back to Macedonia. It was there from Macedonia that Paul wrote the words that are our second reading and the entire letter that we know as 1 Timothy. He, Paul wrote those words to encourage Timothy because he knew what the details were. He knew what the reality was. Paul had left Timothy alone in Ephesus. Paul left him alone to be the pastor of the congregation there, which must have been a challenge to be given the keys to a congregation that Paul dearly loved but was even more dearly loved by Jesus. To be asked to be the overseer, the the shepherd of that flock, especially given the cultural and global influences, the war that was raging around him. Timothy was asked to be the shepherd of the church in Ephesus and to ward off the attack of the wolves and the false teachings that sought to destroy their unity and divide their church. So how would Timothy respond? What must he have been feeling as he read these words? Paul knew what that reality was, and so he penned this letter of encouragement He wanted Timothy to be reminded that he wasn't alone. He had the truth of God's word. He had his sure and certain promises. He had Paul encouraging him from afar and praying for him every day. He had a congregation that loved him, but even more than that, he had a God 
who called him to faith and ministry. And it was that God who would equip and gift and bless him to succeed in both. Paul wrote, writes this letter of encouragement to his young pastor friend. And as he does so, he encourages Timothy to fight. There's two different places like bookends in 1 Timothy where, where Paul tells Timothy to fight. The first is in chapter 1, verse 18. There Paul says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command so that you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. There Paul tells Timothy to fight a battle, to wage a war, to take it to the devil and the evil influences in that world, to vigorously defend himself and his people and the truth of God's word. Take it to sin and temptation. Fight. Wage war. And then again in the verses at the end of verse Timothy, the verses that are our second reading for today, Paul tells Timothy, keep on fighting. But here he uses a word with slightly different flavor. Fight the good fight of the faith. As Paul speaks those words, he's really the track coach on the side of the track, encouraging Timothy as he's running his race to dig deep, to, to press on, to find a, a, another gear, to keep on running, to keep on fighting, to press on towards the finish line. The word that Paul uses, it's used in athletic competition. It's a struggle. Paul tells Timothy to keep on fighting, to keep on struggling, even though it might hurt for a moment, it's worth it. In fact, Paul uses a word in Greek that gives us our English word, agony. This might come as a surprise to many of you, but I don't do a lot of distance running. And one of the biggest reasons why is because of this Greek word, agony. It hurts. It hurts to run. I remember back in college training to be in shape to be able to, to play football. And those memories aren't fond memories. I remember it hurting. I know it gets easier. And I understand that there's benefits to being in shape but I'll be open and honest with you. I have a hard time embracing the agony. Yet that's what Paul encourages Timothy to do. Keep on fighting. Fight the good fight of the faith. But what does that look like? What does he mean? What is he trying to encourage Timothy to do? What is Paul encouraging us to do? Let's keep on reading. Paul says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Flee from all this. In order to know what all this is, you have to understand the context into which our second reading was placed in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You have to know what it was that Paul was talking about in the preceding verses. Paul tells Timothy to flee 
from godlessness, to flee from false teachings and false teacher. He, he tells Timothy not to get engaged in meaningless controversies about meaningless things. In fact, the, the verse that's immediately prior to our reading, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, is one of the more memorable verses in the entire letter. Paul says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Flee from all this, Paul says. Run away. Don't have anything to do with those kinds of attitudes or actions. Instead, pursue righteousness. Live a godly life. Pursue faith and love, endurance and gentleness. Can you picture what Paul is saying? Run. But run in the right direction. Run away from those things, those traps which will entice and ensnare. Run away from selfish living and godless pleasures. Run away from the things that this world holds up as admirable. Run away from them and pursue the godly things. Pursue the fruits of the Spirit. Pursue a life that is in line with God's Word and that can be lived to His glory. Keep on fighting. Keep on running. Dig deep. Even when it hurts. Jesus tells us in today's gospel about one of the ways that it might hurt to run the Christian race. He says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And that sword that Jesus came to bring, it cuts in ways that are painful. Jesus' sword, it might cut through what might otherwise be described as a tight-knit family. That sword might cut and divide a group of friends that share a lot of common interests if, if they don't share that one thing that's most important. The sword of Jesus, it might cut from us a place of comfort and security and, and expose us. It might take away those things, those confidences we might have. It might cut away from us peace and replace it instead with conflict. It might put us in a place where we are compelled to speak. Maybe words that we weren't prepared to speak. Maybe words that we weren't expecting to have to speak. But the sword that Jesus brings sometimes puts us there. But we must love Jesus above all things. We must cherish our relationship with him above any human relationship. Jesus goes on in the gospel. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And if you want to talk about agony, there you have it. What we deserve for cherishing the relationships that we have with people more than the relationship that we have with our God. The consequences of living life with something else in the number one place, the place that God deserves to be. The proper payment for people like you and me who refuse to bear the crosses 
that God asks us to bear and instead seek to live life on the path of least resistance. That's agony. To hear words that we know we deserve to hear, it's fitting and proper and right for our God, for Jesus himself to say to us, you are not worthy of me. Yet those aren't the words that we hear Jesus say. Instead, Jesus says, you are forgiven. Instead, he says, you, come, follow me. Instead, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It was for you that Jesus spoke these words of a good confession to Pontius Pilate. That's what Paul is referencing when he says, in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Christ Jesus confessed to Pilate that he was the king, though not a king of this world, a king of a greater world. Christ Jesus confessed that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. He confessed that the cross that he would soon bear would be the instrument of life for those who knew and believed in his name. He confessed that he was the one who was sent from God, who had lived for mankind, who would die for them, and lives again on high. Christ Jesus made a good confession. He fought our battles and won a victory that we never could have won on our own. And he won it decisively. Jesus won a decisive victory, and he opens heaven to all who believe in his name. And that means that what Paul speaks, he speaks to us. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession. Dear Christians, cling to the promise of eternal life that your God has given to you. Cling to the assurance that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Cling to the hope of his grace and rejoice in the truth that unmatched glory is yours at his side. Keep on fighting. And when God gives you opportunity, you'll be blessed to be able to join Timothy in making a confession. You'll be given opportunities to confess with your words boldly and freely. When people ask, and even when they don't, God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. Keep on fighting. You'll be given opportunities to confess God's name without words. In the priorities you set, in the attitudes that you hold in your mind and in your hearts, you'll be given a chance to live your life to the glory of God, to have a humble servant attitude that seeks the betterment of those around you, that looks for the needs of others and seeks to use who God has made you to be to fill 
those needs. In so doing, we confess the name of our God. We'll be given a chance to confess his name as we praise him for what he's done for us, as we seek to live our lives in thanks for the salvation that he has secured. We can make these bold confessions. And we can live this joy-filled life every single day, every single step that we take until God calls us home. And even then, we know we have a Savior at the finish line waiting to give us his warm embrace. Then the fight will be over. Then the victory will be ours to enjoy. It was 12 years later. 12 years after Paul wrote and Timothy read the words that are our second reading, that Paul wrote Timothy again. 12 years later, a not-so-young pastor, Timothy, read words from his father in the faith, yet these words, though similar, take on a different tone. Paul wrote second Timothy While he was in chains, chains that he knew he would never shake. While he sat in a dungeon prison cell, one that he knew would be his last. Yet Paul writes again to encourage Timothy to build him up and to remind him that he's on the right path. In 2 Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy that Everything that Paul encouraged and asked and commanded Timothy to do, Paul himself had already done. And now the reward that was about to be poured out generously upon him, that's the reward that would be Timothy's, that would be yours, that would be mine. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says of himself, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. There's a crown in store for you, and a Savior at the finish line waiting to place it on your head. And all the same, that Savior also is running the race with you every single step of the way. He's being your strength. He's providing for you everything that you need along the way. Until that race is won. And you step off that track and across the finish line and into a glorious place of everlasting rest. That's coming. But until then... Run the race. Dig deep. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.